Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. All right, dear listeners, we are back with another episode on demystifying adaptogens. Today, we're going to be talking about how to actually properly use these things that we identified last time as the stimulant adaptogens or the stimulating adaptogens, namely Eleuthero, Shizandra, ginseng, and American ginseng, and rhodiola. So last time we looked at the misconceptions, myths, and misuses of these plants, as well as like how whatever plant a company wants to throw in under the banner of adaptogen is just sort of expanded the definition to the point of meaninglessness. But the most important thing to remember is that they are like credit cards. They give you the illusion of having more money in the bank, but they always come with a credit limit and you must pay them back and they usually come with interest. So today we're talking about how we, Forrest and I, actually think that they should be used and how we have used them in practice, which is aligned to the best of our ability with how these individual plants have been traditionally used, as well as adapting that to the modern environment in which we find ourselves. And another consideration that I don't think we covered last time is the ecological Mm. impact of these plants. So with all plants, we have to look at protecting the plant and their environment while also bringing the plant into our usage to help with us in our environment. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that very commonly happens when plants, certain plants or plant categories get overemphasized and over umbrella trendified, trendified, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that they start to have ecological impacts. And so Mm -hmm. that is very much the case with these adaptogenic plants is that they have been trendified. Commercialized. Yep. Ginseng was already very trendified in Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine and had ecological overharvesting issues even way back. But now a lot of these plants, rhodiola and erythro, have been overharvested and have had a lot of ecological impact. Ginseng has long been harvested Rise. to the brink yeah. of extinction in China. And now the the poaching of American ginseng in the Appalachian Mountains primarily for export to China mm-hmm. is is a big problem. So, and a dangerous one. I can't remember. I feel like the documentary is called Ginseng Wars, maybe. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a documentary where this has become such a heated issue amongst the like ginseng harvesters of the Appalachian region that people have died. There have people have had turf wars over people harvesting their ginseng because it is so highly prized to export and, to China. So just another thought with this overuse of stimulant adaptogens. Yes, that that's and, a consideration too. Not just our individual overuse in terms of ingesting it too much, but also on a collective level, the overuse of it past the point of the plant's ability to propagate itself and survive. So with that said, how do we recommend using these plants when we do use them Mm -hmm. because there is an appropriate way to use them again like we've mentioned each of these plants has a recorded and documented history of usage that goes back depending on the plant like hundreds to thousands of years so there is a way to use these they have been used within the context of their traditional medical systems for many years 
using that as a guide, I would say one of the primary ways that I feel like from the traditional use of something like ginseng is in the recovery phase of an illness. I'll say that one first. Right. I've used them more more exclusively for my athletes in a different way, which we'll talk about next. But the most, I think, common way is, especially for someone who's elderly or otherwise you know, compromised, to help them in the recovery phase of illness alongside right. bed rest. Uh, uh, so yes. I would say like this lost sort of notion of convalescence that could be yeah. an episode in of itself, right? Like convalescence is this thing that used to be a huge part of our sort of collective medical practice, I would argue. And it's this idea that there's a, there's a phase in between you're not going to die anymore from the illness. The fever has passed, but you're still very weak and you are still, you're healing, you're recovering, you're convalescing. So that used right. to be, I think, a much more emphasized part of the healing process than it probably is now. But in our sort of go get back to work, go have a baby and go back to work the next week uh, mentality that we have here these days. But these plants like ginseng and eleuthero can be really helpful alongside bed rest to help give you a little bit of energy as part of the recovery process. So you can cook for yourself. So you have an appetite. So you actually have the ability to burn some calories so to go on a walk so that you feel hungry so that you can eat more and so that you can recover better. So a place very core to what's going on right now in the world is I use some of these plants carefully mm. in post-COVID. So I think that's very traditionally. The other thing in Chinese medicine is in illnesses, oftentimes your body is mounting an inflammatory defense. Yes. And that would have been considered a time that giving these kind of herbs was inappropriate. But there are times that the defense is exhausted. Mm -hmm. So there's an uh, exhaustation phase that then the next phase is death in febrile in illnesses yep. that ginseng and plants like this were also used as okay buffer the against that. Mm -hmm. that there's a buffer let's give a last spark of energy Same. to try to go back to fighting into the to go back and fight this again yes mm -hmm. yeah and so that would be i would say probably one of the most well-documented uses of these plants one of the ways that i've used it personally in my practice more is actually because i work with athletes is using it for a short-term performance push so the most right. uh, the easiest example is like the MMA athletes during their eight-week fight camp are doing what I would consider something that's like the exact appropriate situation for when you might need a little bit of extra energy to achieve a short-term goal. Of course, again, given the caveat that I'm like, I'm only going to give you enough of this to get you through to your fight, and then you don't get any more because you exactly. have to rest after that. So exactly. that's, of course, the caveat. But they are, to give you an example, right? Like they are having to train a lot to get, prepare for their fight. So they're training multiple training sessions a day while also operating at a caloric deficit because they are also usually cutting weight. So this can be really helpful as like a pre-workout before their longest session to keep them from getting sick during that training camp because Eleuthero specifically is the one that I like to use, will give them energy, but it also is a little bit of an immune stimulant. So short term, I would say even a little bit longer than I would strictly speaking like, but their fight camps are usually like eight weeks. And so that's when it's usually considered like the fight camp. So we use those during that time. But again, I only give them enough to last them through to the fight. And then they have to rest and recover, which they're, you know, usually very ready to do anyway at that point. And yeah. so and with caution. And with, with caution, they're not using it late at night. They're, they're, they are coached on how to use it in a way that 
does not in any way disrupt their sleep because they also really need their sleep during that time. So they're definitely they're using it not only like do I coach them on it and only and control the sort of dispensing of that to them as far as how much I give them, but they're also being directly monitored and supervised and checking in with me at regular intervals. So if exactly. there's any disruption in sleep or increased uptick in insomnia, uptick in anxiety, uptick in overstimulation, nervousness, anything like that, I'm, you know, keeping a close eye on them. Right. And I think that fits into kind of that Russian mm -hmm. research of mm -hmm. adaptive of what they were really intending yeah. that for, like temporary increase in stress adaptation and yep. performance yep. under stress. Yes. Um, and we can think about that really doesn't isn't that far off from the recovery phase of illness. We're talking about that's when you're moving back into the normal stressors of life and you need that boost to help deal but, with that. Right. To help adapt, which I think we were talking about last time, how it's like kind of silly that we got this notion of adapting from this. We kind of extrapolated this notion. But that I would say is what makes these adaptogens, right? Is like they're, you're right. trying to adapt to something new. Ad adaptation implies that there is uh, a new or a newly reintroduced, even if you've experienced it before, exactly. type of stimulus or type of stress. And these plants are intended to help you short term adapt to that new or newly introduced stressors or uh, back to normal life or exactly. just to, like not give up fighting for the disease like we were saying before. Which and on my end, one of the ways I use these most frequently is in chronic fatigue, mm -hmm. but we'll create a big caveat here. I use it yeah. a lot like Alyssa's talking about that we use with at how we use it with athletes is as a short term performance enhancing boost. Mm -hmm. So it's not they're not this, oh, it's an energy herb. So I'm going to give it to somebody that doesn't have any energy and hope for the best. It's let's take a short period of time. And let's use this to enhance recovery. Oh, in the case of chronic fatigue, that's just the recovery of adapting to the energy demands of life. And so then let's use that to increase activity, to increase exercise, to increase self-care activities. Capacities, yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, when you do those things, there's sort of a the ideally if you're using them and you're using them in small doses, that's another consideration I think we forgot to talk about last time with their traditional uses is that most of the time the doses that are used that are traditionally indicated are smaller than the ones that are in a lot of the things that you'll find in the health food store these days. So that's just kind of a side note. Yeah. Um, is it doesn't take a lot and you're using them to help. If I am trying to you know recover from an illness and I don't have an appetite, and going on a walk in the uh, fresh air is going to help give me an appetite, but I don't have the energy to go for a walk. The question becomes, is the net gain that I get from giving myself a little bit of a stimulant so I have the energy to go on a walk so I have an appetite so I can eat, it, the net gain of that, if we can assess that as practitioners and we determine that the net gain of that outweighs the potential like cost of the, the detrimental effects of using a stimulant, then that if there's a net gain, then that would be an appropriate time to use that plant. And let's be really clear about this is that we have to look at alongside what's going rest. Yeah. alongside rest. So in the case of an athlete, we can use this to help offset the extra taxing load of a short term training camp, training camp. Mm -hmm. But the debt is going to be high. Yeah. So the need for recovery afterwards is going to be higher, mm -hmm. even just in the short term use of a day. If I mm -hmm. have a client with chronic fatigue and we are trying to get exercise. They're already going to be very fatigued from adding exercise in the next day. Yes. If we use ginseng to help facilitate 
them having enough energy to do exercise, that's going to double or if not triple how tired they may feel the next day. Mm -hmm. um, keeping that in perspective and not just saying, oh, well, they're triple fatigued the next day. Let's give them ginseng again. Mm, yeah. um, Slippery slope. So that actually brings us to one of the other like uses, like you were saying, if someone, if I have a client who is struggling to make positive lifestyle change, like they're trying to start an yeah. exercise habit or they're trying to give up caffeine, you know, or they're cutting out sugar or they are trying to start something new or they're trying to sort of, again, like jumpstart a new positive habit that we have identified as a priority for them, then that can also be an appropriate use of this is that, again, the net benefit of giving them a little bit of extra quote unquote free energy, which is not free. It's just like I'm I'm giving them a credit card to do a little bit more spending. If they're going to use that to then invest in a healthy habit, and again, they're only using it short term, I would also consider that an appropriate use. And one thing about the athletic right. use that I want to just mention is that is to my knowledge, none of these plants are considered PEDs as far as something that would be prohibited from an athlete to take. Uh, as far as right. like a performance enhancing drug, as far as my knowledge goes, and again, those things update really regularly. But as far as I know, none of these are like considered outside the bounds of what is considered legal or allowed in the sports that I work in, which is primarily MMA. So when we say performance enhancing, just because I don't want people to get confused, uh, this is not the same thing as like uh, performance enhancing drugs that are like illegal performance enhancers that like affect your right. hormones and trash your body. So these are not, I mean, they, if you overuse them, they will trash your body temporarily in a different way. But when we say performance enhancing, we mean that generally, not specifically like as as far as like a performance enhancing drug that has been outlawed, that was like popular, that was a big problem and is consistently something that those regulatory right. bodies have to stay on top of. So just to add that caveat. I'd say, and then we look at this, the next kind of uh, caveat is while we use these herbs under these circumstances, there is two concerns I always keep in the back of my head and one that is not masking other causes of fatigue, yes. whether those be nutrient deficiencies, sleep debt, things like that, because these herbs can very easily mask that the fatigue or the lack of the performance deficit is actually because of a nutrient that's not being get got or right. a sleep debt or sleep mm -hmm. apnea overextending and you just want me to facilitate your overextending that's not going to happen <laughs> yeah uh, and then the second thing i always keep in the back of my head is that that can be really difficult in a lot of these cases is balancing the overstimulation and under reserves so basically yeah. these herbs we're looking at they're giving more energy to deal with a stressor but they're stimulating and a lot of times these high stress environments or high stress situations are overstimulating and you need something like a relaxant nerving herb to offset that stress. And so always viewing that as kind of the tandem. These dynamic focus. pull between these different priorities. Absolutely. Yes. This like push pull. Absolutely. One of the other big traditional uses and also sort of modern uses of these plants is as to improve quality of life and reduce the fatigue of a serious disease or yeah. end of life care. And so those are can be a really heart centered and like really helpful and just really humane way to help improve someone's quality of life, especially if they have a serious disease or if they're an end, yeah. like an end stage something to give them energy to, you know, be around their loved ones and get all their get everything together or even just live with the 
fatigue of a serious disease uh, that, you know, let's say that we're doing everything that we can underneath that or reduce the fatigue of chemo, things like that. That is another valid use of these plants. And again, the dose oftentimes doesn't have to be as big as people think they do if you're just trying to get someone enough energy. Like we're not trying to bring someone from like chemo, like end of stage, like really deep fatigue to like super person. But we're only trying to use enough to bring them up to a level of activity that allows them to have a higher quality of life. Right. In addition to dosage, a lot of times we're just working with one of these plants or maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the the typical adaptogenic formulas that you find or, or the adrenal fatigue for, formulas on the market are let's do ginseng, shishandra, rhodiola, all of all them, of them, all like, of them thrown together. And so that's a difference, too, in the kind of more conservative usage of these is let's look at them as individual plants. Absolutely. And they do also have individual things that they are better, at least sort of what we would call in the herbal yes. specific indications. So are you good to let's talk about those now? Are I think you good that's to do kind that? of our I think that's maybe our last and our most important mm-hmm. is using the plants within the context of how they were traditionally used. Yes, absolutely. So, for example, the one that comes to my mind first is Shizandra. Shizandra is particularly good. And there's actually a lot of literature or like subtle like nuance in how Shizandra is used within the context of TCM. But one of the things that comes with that is it's really good at mitigating the fatigue when there's also uh, reduced liver function present. So it's also very hepato supportive, hepato protective. And so if there's something going on, maybe someone's recovering from alcoholism or someone's recovering from uh, like uh, fat, like fatty liver or some other liver condition that is has accompanying fatigue, Shizandra would be an excellent choice there because not only is it going to help mitigate the fatigue, uh, it's also going to help improve hepatic function, liver function. Yeah, and I'd, I'd piggyback on that, especially from the traditional Chinese literature, is kidney function. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. It's used okay. as a kidney remedy, and so I find it can be really helpful for the fatiguing effects from not just liver but also renal disease as well. Yeah, absolutely. What's another one? What would you say? I would say Eleuthero. Uh, my experience yeah. with Eleuthero is really, e- even more than just a generalized stimulant, that one I feel is the one that I use the most with athlete, most with athletes because not only does it give you a sense of mental acuity and focus, but there's also a very physical aspect to the way yeah. that Eleuthero acts. Where it's, you just feel like I could just run forever or grapple forever or just train forever. That's how I feel. It's got very... I- Body-based. I agree. I find Elrithra very body-based. Mm-hmm. It was traditionally used for altitude sickness, and I've used mm-hmm. it to great effect in altitude, altitude-related fatigue. Mm-hmm. It, I find it to be very the very sporty, the sporty. Yep, definitely very, very sporty. Very relevant for performance and physical. I, I also find I, I find that Shishandra and Elrithro are kind of two that I oftentimes reach for first because a lot of these can be very stimulating in the what we might call the autonomic nervous system where they kind of generate some energy in that part of your nervous system that is for survival Mm -hmm. feels a little bit more body-based so it's a little less sparky in the my nervous system and heart rates up Mm -hmm. and a little bit more like power in my 
power in the muscle power right. in, it comes in the, from the trunk it has yeah it has an engine from the lower center of gravity kind of energy to right it to me. yeah on the other hand shashandra mm-hmm. i find it is a little bit more cerebral Yes. So it's a little bit so more. So if you have like a test, it, if you're taking a test, if you're like, that's kind of when we were taking my finals for uh, clinical training for herb school. Definitely, yes. Shandra was the one that I chose over Eleuthero because I didn't need the physical energy, the body energy. I needed the mental energy. More that, more that mental energy, that combating brain fog, which can be really good in the rhodiola is similar in that way too. Although I know rhodiola is traditionally used. Me and rhodiola don't get along as well for right. us because it's so drying. So you might have to talk about rhodiola. Not that I, I don't find, like her. I respect her. I just don't use her because she makes my brain feel like it's being squeezed out through my ears. I think that ro- I think that rhodiola can be very can be very nice for the right person. And I think that yes, yes, um, much more. She's it's pickier about who it works well for. Rhodiola definitely can stimulate, can be cerebral, more like Shashandra if there's no tendency of your nervous system, autonomic nervous system to get sparked. <laughs> so yep. if you're someone that has anxiety, that has trauma, that has already has that pathway oh, open God. of falling into fe- to fight or flight, flight, flight. to nervous mm-hmm. system activation, oftentimes rhodiola will jump on that pathway and stimulate mm-hmm. that part of the nervous system more it so. It was fun. I did not. It was not fun. I will tell you. But so just like that caveat, dear listener. Yeah. And the other thing with rhodiola is its energetics, that drying astringent Uh genetics are so powerful that it really affects neurologically how it stimulates. So it's Mm -hmm. very contracting. So someone who is someone who is a little bit someone who's foggier, slower, yeah, have trouble getting going. A a lot of times the people I use rhodiola for even in their structure, their muscles are kind of collapsed. Their mm. posture is collapsed. Their tissues are so relaxed that they're boggy Lax. and have mm. even some extra fluid in them from the laxity. Mm. And then Shashandra, can, I mean, sorry, and then Royola can kind of pick all of that up. Yes, and tone it up and give it a little squeeze. Yeah. And yes. then, of course, uh, we can't not talk about ginseng, but this one is like, Ginseng is such a sacred plant for so many of the people that have a deeper relationship to it and a historical relationship to it that we also have to, you know, I feel like that also bears mentioning is that that one in particular is something that is very, not only like highly prized, but also just revered, I would say in Southern folk herbalism. And I know also to a certain extent in TCM. Yes, I think so. And, and it, I think it it really is the deep energy acting of all of these even more even if we're saying this category is doing that deep stimulation ginseng is really going down to your reserves and finding them and breeding them to the surface and so i find ginseng the most appropriate for someone who has a deep-seated lack of energy yeah so someone who Long history uh, of chronic disease. Long or history the of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elderly, lot a very deep seated. I don't. I think that if you're running a five k and but need the, but then fatigued in your day job, that is not the appropriate use of. That's not that picture that I'm thinking ginseng yeah. for. Mm-hmm. I'll add that American ginseng. Yeah. It's adds, has the extra bit in that it is moistening 
or yeah. at least it offsets the drying nature. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a it's lot sweet. It's sweet and nourishing. So it helps when it's that long seated convalescence fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But where you need moisture and nourishing at the same time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gen- all the ginsengs also really help with respiratory. So Breathing, that would be a good know. choice for something like long COVID or recovery yes. from COVID for sure. Now, especially in s- the elderly, especially in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I'll say that an alternative to ginseng with respiratory yeah. induced fatigue is something like spikenard that's in the mm-hmm. ginseng family. It's not really talked about as an adaptant as much, but it definitely yeah. has that that zingy spark of, of a ginseng. Mm-hmm. And it's very respiratory centric oriented, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that spike nard. I think that even astragalus can be really yep. great. And that would got a little zinginess too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, astragalus. astragalus we think of it as an immune tonic mainly, but it really does have that energy zinginess too. For sure, for sure. It astragalus also what has traditional indication for prolapse so when energy is sinking mm-hmm. down downward mm-hmm. whereas like rhodiola would be like energy is just like collapsing everywhere yeah astragalus the energy is sinking down so everything's falling down and so astragalus is in a lot of traditional chinese formulas for prolapse yep last oh, last single herb mm-hmm. i really want to mention cross vine. I know we mm, talked about yes. cross vine in our fascia classes, but mm-hmm. cross vine is a Western plant. So it wasn't really ever lumped into the adaption category until later associations were made, but it definitely has that, a little bit of that zingy spark. I, I find it a lot more muted than a lot of these other plants, but it's still there. And it has the interesting specific indication for fascia. So right. it's in specific indication was basically when you have no energy, but your fascia is adhered together. So the even they used it for mules who yep, were worked traditional. overworked into a state where they became hidebound, where they locked. were fatigued. Yeah. And also their tissues were all locked up. Mm-hmm. And so I think it can be a really awesome ally for this kind of fatigue with a ton of fascial stiff. movement, yeah. stiffness. Mm-hmm. Like stiffness. you're so stiff that you're fatigued. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that actually brings us to a good point. Just to clarify it, why we went into that is because part of what we would consider the actual proper use of stimulating adaptogens is to use the alternate plants when appropriate, when they would be appropriate. Not only yes. is that part of the ecological consideration of not overusing these plants that have been overharvested and overused, but there are also our perennial and lifelong sort of mission to inject more nuance into the conversation about herbs and how do we use yeah. herbal medicine as well. Sometimes the most appropriate use of a stimulant adaptogen is not is to use a not a stimulant adapt- or like a, a different, different stimulant, a non-traditional a different. St- stimulant adaptogen, yes. stragalus or crossvine, which are not yet, fingers crossed, been as commercialized as stragalus has. Mm-hmm. But like crossvine has it, that's a south you know southeastern plant. But so that would be why we are mentioning that. So to summarize, the proper use of these stimulant adaptogen plants, which again, what we mostly mean are things like ginseng, American ginseng, eleuthero, and rhodiola. We have a couple of contexts in which it's appropriate to use them that are based on both our, our own judgment as practitioners and then also the historical usage of these plants, which goes back quite a long time for some of them. 
short-term performance push, such as a fight camp, six to eight weeks. I would say eight weeks is a little long, but I usually I have to be a little flexible on that because that's the context that I work in. So a month to two months max of usage of the plant with a built-in recovery period afterward, that's crucial, to support from the recovery phase of an illness so that you can you, you give them a little energy so they can get more energy, so they have an appetite, so they can sleep. And that's, again, alongside convalescence, alongside bed rest. Alongside and, other plants, too? Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Alongside other plants, nourishing nerve tonics, things like that, encouraging sleep, encouraging optimal digestive function. Absolutely. Another big category, I would say, in today's world that's specific to the modern context as as we find ourselves today, that may not be as traditional, but I think is more and more relevant is to help with short-term use to help with the fatigue that comes alongside making a positive lifestyle change. So again, if we are trying to uh, instill a movement habit, if we're trying to rehab from some sort of fatigue or, or illness or injury, if we're trying to get up earlier in the morning, start a morning morning routine or caffeine withdrawal, we're trying to cut back on our caffeine, we're trying to cut back on our use of sugar as a source of quick energy for maybe blood sugar reasons. That's another time where I would say that short-term, again, monitored, ideally supervised use of these plants would be absolutely appropriate. One thing that I throw in there is that with this overuse of adaptogens, caffeine and caffeine-containing plants have become a little over-vilified. And so one just little just add-in is sometimes playing with caffeine before adaptogen plants for yes. that short-term mm-hmm. transition is actually worth it's worthwhile. And Other actually, times, I would say that caffeine is safer than a lot of these plants. Yeah. Uh, that, so don't get us twisted here, guys. Like, it's possible to use. I think that there's obviously, by and large, an over-reliance on caffeine in the world for the similar reasons that people are abusing stimulant adaptogens now, but which is part of a larger conversation, a larger problem of like, why is what we are asking of ourselves and why what society and productivity asks of us, why does that so consistently and reliably exceed our capacity? So that's a larger question, but caffeine is safer than a lot of these plants. So absolutely, a little bit of caffeine should not be underestimated as long as, again, it's used judiciously. It's not used too close to bedtime. You don't have an underlying heart condition, like all of those things. All that, yeah. And then the last way that I would say uh, category of proper use of this as far as other than being in alignment with what is the proper use of the traditional historical uses of the plant is to improve the quality of life and reduce the fatigue and improve the energy of someone with a serious disease like cancer or to improve end of life quality quality right. so that person has energy to like I said be with their loved ones and get their affairs in order or just like living with a chronic disease that fatigue comes along with it and that person is doing everything that they can. Or if there's something that is incurable or just comes with fatigue, then that's something that we can use to improve their quality of life. Right. All right. Anything else to add for us? I'd say with that is with chronic disease and using these is we still use it almost as this performance building plant. So it's not just a, oh, you have a chronic illness that causes fatigue, so just take adaptogens all the time. Oftentimes, right. we still use them in an ebb and flow. Yeah. That way, there's a chance to increase engagement in life, but then a, a chance to recover a little bit from that Yes. extra use of the reserves. Yes, absolutely. All right, so next time, dear listeners, we will be talking about the real MVPs uh, of that, what we think should be called the debt, like, if I could take the label of adaptogen and take and, and disown yeah. it from what it is and give it to this other category of plants, 
it would be that. I would do that in a heartbeat. So stay tuned for our next episode on demystifying adaptogens. Well, we'll be talking, we'll about, talking the... about nourishing tonics. Nourishing tonics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we will catch you next time. 